Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Now, I want you to open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. And while you're doing that, let me say to our guests that we love the Word of God at Sagemont so much that we want you to have a copy of it when you go home. And we want to put in your hand a family Bible for you to take with you. They're too big to bring in here, but they're out here in our hospitality room, which is right across from the library. You go out in the foyer, turn to the left, look where the people are coming in, and I'm gonna go there as soon as this service is over and personally hand you one of the most beautiful copies of God's Word that you have ever looked at for you to take with you. Now, we don't want you to just go put it somewhere and let dust get on it. We want you to read it and to enjoy that which is there. You know, I could not help but think before we open the scripture that uh, we know that this is Super Bowl Sunday, okay? I'm not naive, I know. Uh, but I'm gonna tell you something, just an observation. And you can call my hand on it, not today, but, but give it 100 years and see if I'm not right. And that is that what you have witnessed in this baptistry already today will live forever and forever and forever. The ball game is being played, and last night they said that the cheapest seats now are $8,000. It will be packed today, but what happens in that game, there'll be some cheering, some drinking, some driving home, and swapping of money, and then it'll just go with all the rest of them. But what went on here is forever and forever and forever. And don't forget that. That's not a put down on football. I, I plan to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you, get our priorities right. There's nothing like that. I asked my buddy Ernie here if I could share this, and he gave me permission. Ernie's like me. He's not what he wants to be. He's not what he ought to be, but he ain't what he used to be. Um, <laughs> I could not help but remember, and he bent over and he reminded me when he spoke into my ear how lucky I was to be sitting by him today. <laughs> the first time he said that to me was several years ago over in the HRA. When I was sitting by his side, he's the only person in this church, including you, uh, that calls me if he isn't going to be here. Only one, not the deacons, not the staff, not my wife, you know. But if Ernie doesn't call me, I know he's going to be here. Let me tell you the story real quickly. He bent over like this, and I was on the aisle in the HRA, and he said, you ought to feel lucky that you're sitting by me today. I said, well, I guess I feel lucky. I don't know why, but I guess I am lucky to be sitting by you today. And, and I said, but why? He said, well, you know what today is? I said, yeah, it's Sunday. He said, what Sunday is it? I said, well, oh, Super Bowl Sunday. He said, that's right. You sure are lucky to be sitting by me today. I said, oh, really? I said, yeah. And he said, yes. I said, why am I lucky? He says, because for the last 19 years. He said, you know what time it is? He said, it's about an hour and a half to Super Bowl. He said, for the last 19 years, I haven't been sitting by any preacher, but I've been sitting by my bookie. 
He said, for the last 19 years, he said, when you bet the big bucks on a football game, you don't bet it till the last five minutes. So you know who the quarterback's going to be. You know all that stuff. I didn't know all that stuff, but that's what he said. And, uh, and he said, you ought to feel lucky you're sitting by me. Well, I didn't feel any different. <laughs> but the reason I'm telling this story, then he spoke into my ear, and he said, I want you to know something. I'm so glad I'm sitting by you today, and I will never, ever be sitting by a bookie from this day forward. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I asked him a while ago if I could tell that story. He said yes, and he said, I'll tell you something else. I will never miss church for a football game for the rest of my life. That's what we talk about. That's, that's down to earth, new life in Jesus Christ. That's, you know, you don't have to bring me the, the, the prophecies of the book or whatever. Just trust the Lord. His way is higher than our ways. Thank God for these people, for you, if you know what it's like for Jesus to come into your life. And everything changes from that moment forward. Now today, we're going to have a real good story. Everybody likes stories. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> I'm entitling the message today, What Are You Doing Here? We're going to talk about Elijah. Elijah was one of the incredible figures of the Bible that would rank right up there with Moses. He was one of those prophets of God that was in the Old Testament and showed up in the New Testament. He was one of those men that God had chosen for an incredible uh, life's journey. And that journey would take him through all kinds of situations. And we're going to look today at the follow-up to last week's message. What is going on when the people of God began to struggle with the things of this life even to the point that they're extremely close not to losing their salvation but destroying their purpose for living in this life. And I think this story will speak to all of us. I know it does speak to me. In 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 9 <clears throat> And he came thither in, unto a cave, that's Elijah, came into a cave. He lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? That's the King James way of saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, now listen to this, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. 
And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Why are you here and what are you doing here, Elijah? Father, bless now as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no question that Elijah was one of the top heroes of God's people, the people of Israel. He would rank right up there in the Hall of Fame or whatever you want to call it of the, some of the greatest God-called men that ever lived in any generation. But he came to a place where he had a temporary experience, and thank God it was temporary, and I'll try to show you why in a minute. But he came to a place where he had forgotten where he'd been. He forgot where he was, and he had no idea where he was going. Maybe you're like that today. You can't remember your heritage. You can't really figure out, what am I doing here? And where am I going? You know, when uh, you're old, you can't remember where you've been. When you're young, you don't know where you're going. And I don't know which one is the worst, but they're certainly different. But Elijah was a prophet of God. Now, let me set this up for those of you that are studying the Bible and you're new believers and you're growing in the faith. And the reason we want you to read the Bible and how you'd be blessed by underlining it and what we're talking about. But let me just run back for just a moment. And these passages are all in 1 Kings and in 2 Kings. I'll not tell you the exact reference but uh, for time's sake, but this is a man that predicted a famine to the people because God told him it's going to happen. This is a man that was fed by ravens, the big, large, black bird. He was fed by a widow who was down to absolutely nothing in the kitchen to eat. He revived the widow's son, brought him back to life. This man defeated 850 false prophets at one moment. He was chased by a woman, Queen Jezebel. He fled from a woman. He stood up to 850 men, but one woman. I will not comment any further. <laughs> Elijah chose Elisha to succeed him. Elijah was taken up into heaven. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, embodied in John the Baptist. He appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the guy. He was in many great scenes of the Bible. He was in many top hits, if you please, of stories. This is the man. But one day he was asked a question. When he was at his wit's end, when he had every reason to be in a totally different environment, one day he woke up depressed, confused, not seeming to know where he was. And he didn't know how he handled it because God was living in the days of Elijah and he is living today. He took that moment in Elijah's life and he'll take that same moment today to speak into my life, into your life and ask the question, what are you doing? What in the world is going on with you? With your background, 
with where I put you, with how I gifted you, with how I even tested you. What are you doing that is so far removed from what I was preparing you to do when I created you and let you be born into this world? I want to say it one more time because I think sometimes people feel like if they get depressed that there's something about them that's not right with God spiritually, like to the point that they're not God's child. But let me just assure you of something. Some of the mightiest people that ever existed on God's side went through depression. It is a tool that Satan uses in his conniving way because he is so smart to attack us when we can obviously see some enemies and we're strong enough to know that the warfare that we're in, that there's weapons that we have to stand against it, but then there's some of those things that we don't catch because Satan is so smart. Ask anyone, anybody that you know and love as a Christian that has gone through depression to talk to you about it, and they'll tell you it is real. You see, the, 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 we are body, soul, and spirit. Our body gets sick, we, we have doctors. When the soul gets sick in the psychological dimensions, we have trained and godly counselors to talk with us. But we also have a spirit. Our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we're children of God. And when the real answers come is as God uses doctors and he uses counselors and he uses preachers, but it's by his spirit that he really does the finished work. It's by his spirit and the power of his spirit that he raises us up from the sinking sand and sets us on the solid rock and Redo, and he reprograms us as to what he had planned for us from the beginning of time. Here we see the man, if you read before I read the brief text this morning, we find this man, again, having defeated these false prophets, calling down the fire from heaven, running from Queen Jezebel. He runs for miles and he stops under a juniper tree. Some translations call it a broom tree. And then he makes his way into a cave. He goes into habitation of just solitude. Now we can learn from him today. And I want you to listen very closely. We can learn from others some things but we can learn from God even greater things and from the scripture. So let me get you to think with me. Do you not agree with me that when this man ends up in the condition he is in that cave, that he for a little while forgot what God had done in his life? Could you agree with me on that? And could you agree with me if you're going through maybe depression yourself? that maybe you've forgotten the day of your baptism. I'm talking to the children of God now. 
Maybe you have forgotten who your parents were. Because it was a positive thing. For some of you, that was negative in your thinking. But you forgot your upbringing. You forgot those days. You forgot how God miraculously was allowed you to come back from the, from the battlefield or to graduate from college or to get that first job in a time where nobody was getting. I forgot all of that. Uh, now God's on trial again. And depression has set in. You remember the day you were married? If you got the right girl? You remember the day you had your first child? You held that nine-month miracle? When you got your first job, maybe when you graduated and your mother was more surprised than anybody in the audience. <laughs> Do you remember when you were saved, born again? Don't forget those days. Don't forget them. But you see, it's easy to do that. It's easy to do exactly what Elijah do, did, but what happened in the past, good or bad, cannot replace the right now. The Bible talks about forgetting those things which lie behind and press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. I can do nothing about my past. But I, through Christ, who strengthens me, do all things about my future. Elijah took his eyes off of God for just a little while. God was with him when he stood against 850 false prophets talking about a false God, and one woman, one woman chased him out of town and put him on the run. He could not even remember the fire falling and all those things that happened, the wind and still small voice, because here is a situation with a personality that had a lot of problems themselves, and he could not handle it. He had to run. I don't want any of us to ever take our blessings for granted. That would be a tragedy. But neither should we forget God's power. That would be a bigger tragedy. We forget there's power in the blood. There's soul-cleansing power in the blood. And we forget what he had forgot when he's in that cave and says, nobody knows where I am. And the word of God spoke to him. That goes on today, folks. Sometimes you've got to be flat on your back, sometimes locked up in a prison cell, sometimes in a courtroom, sometimes in some horrendous thing in your life. And God, if you're his child, is wanting to use that to bring glory to him and bring purpose into your life and get you out of that depression. So we have the word forget. But not only did Elijah forget God, he feared the things of this world. You know what the book says? No weapon that's formed against us is going to prosper. Because this is the inheritance of the children of God. He that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. We cannot forget those scriptures. He ran because he was afraid of Jezebel. He didn't run when the 850 men were there. But for 
a brief time, fear replaced faith. Think about this for a moment. Fear is not an action, but rather it is a reaction to the circumstances around us. Think about that for a moment. Fear is a reaction. It is not an action. Let me tell you what faith is. It's the same thing. Faith is the same. Faith is a reaction to what God says in his word. If you have faith, it's not because you have a blind faith, but you have, and I have, God's inerrant and infallible world, and if God says it, that settles it. And so my faith is a reaction to what I have read in the Bible that most people throw away or put on the shelf or vote out of their government or their schools or whatever. Fear should never come to a believer except the fear of God. When young David was talked to by people a lot smarter than him and a lot older than him, he said, this battle's not mine, it's the Lord's. And he told me what to do. I appreciate your counsel, I'm glad to have it, but I've heard from God. And God said, get you some stones and get after it. And you know the rest of that story. But there's something else. Not only did he forget, not only was he one that had fear, but he was battling fatigue. He had spent hours on Mount Carmel. Go back and read the story. He had traveled from Jezreel to Beersheba, which is about 100 miles. In fact, it's a little over 100 miles. He didn't rest. He didn't eat right. And he didn't take time to just get alone with God. But can I just refer you to Jesus and tell you he never made that mistake? Jesus took time away so he and the Father could get some things on the same page. Don't ever think it's a virtue to work 20 hours a day, seven days a week and lose your family and lose your marriage and lose your health and lose your effectiveness. That's the reason God made the Sabbath. When we see companies like Chick-fil-A that close their doors on Sunday and the rest of the world shakes their heads and says, there's no way you can make it. Ernie's restaurant is closed today. Can't make it like that. Got to go at it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. God, take care. You need time to rest. You, you need time to maybe not go to the gym one day. Unless the gym, unless you handle it different than I always handled it, even when I was young. When I came out of the gym, my tongue was dragging the ground, and I just cr crawled into the car. You know, I thought that was a good workout. <laughs> Four days later, when I got over my workout, I was back at it again. I need to schedule another appointment to the gym. But it's okay, folks, to just take a deep breath and relax and enjoy the sunshine or the snow, unless you live in the northeast of the United States, as I've been watching. But you know, forgetting God and being afraid of what might happen, 
burning the candle at both ends can cause some serious problems. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, mentally, and you can go and add the rest of them. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that some of us do is rest. That's the reason God gave us a seventh day. He said, I want you to rest. You need it. You need it. Well, that's the sources, but real quickly, I want you to look with me at the symptoms. They're not the same in everybody. You know, you... Uh, Sometimes when you have the flu, you want to know, what are the symptoms of the flu? It's better to know, where'd you get it? I mean, you're too late if you got the symptoms and they're positive. You have the flu, shot or no shot, you have the flu. What you want to know, where'd it come from? You don't need to go get psychoanalyzed to see if I'm depressed. Just say, okay, and maybe I am. I sure kind of look like it. I think I feel like it. When I look in the mirror, I look like it. And I think I'm going to figure out why. Where did I get it? What happened? And instead of saying what, we ask why don't I read my Bible anymore? Why don't I pray anymore? Why don't I give to the Lord to spread the gospel around the world? Why am I so afraid to share my faith? Why have I stopped attending church and gotten rid of my Christian friends? Why? Let's just call Elijah's problem detachment, okay? One of the things that I, I just want our, our young people, and the sooner the better. When we see over 1,000 children over here in our children's building, we don't want to see them grow to 300 by the time they get to be teenagers. Let me tell you, you need Christian friends when you're a teenager. You need Christian friends when you're a young adult, adult a middle-aged adult, and a senior adult. Don't detach from the Word. Don't detach from the people of God. Don't separate yourself from the things that brought you the great joy when you learned it was more blessed to give than it was to receive. Because you see, when we cut loose of our moorings and we put the Bible on the shelf and we stop those good things, then we can end up like Elijah out in the wilderness sitting under a broom tree. And you know what he probably thought? I would submit to you a thought. I have to check it out when I see Elijah in heaven. But I think that he would have probably said something like this if you were to quickly flew a drone over him and saw him under the Jennifer tree and you'd have run out there and you began to talk to him, he would probably say this, you know, I've been a long way away from God recently. Been a long way away from God. 
And if somebody that knew the Bible would say to him, I'm sorry, but you hadn't been a long way away from God. He's been with you every minute of the day because he will never leave you or he will never forsake you. Some of you are coming back to God today because God has never given up on you. He led you back here. He created the, cir the circumstances to bring you back here. Yesterday, or, the, uh, or on Friday, we buried Sue Moore, whose husband started the bus ministry at Sage My Church years and years and years and years, decades ago. Did you hear the one who was baptized a while ago? Rode the buses. God's word never returns void. Sue and Bill Moore were in heaven this morning with their daughter who passed away last year in young life, and they rejoiced as one was baptized today that rode those buses 30 years ago. That's God's way of doing things and putting things in perspective. That's the reason that's bigger than a Super Bowl. That is the way God handles things in our lives. But Elijah went into the wilderness. He sits under the tree. He removed himself from his community. He removed himself from the Bible. And he probably, or from the, the words of God, and probably thought God didn't even know where he was. But God knew exactly where he was. So I want to ask you a question. Why do people drop out of church and the Bible and soul winning and all that kind of thing? Giving, whatever you want to add to that. Why do you do that? Why do, I'm talking about God's children. Now, for the people not God's children, that's their normal way of living. That's where they are the most comfortable. I'm talking about God's people today, which are called by God's name. And we need to be careful, folks, when we have a friend that gets depressed by our little quick cliches. Well, you just need to get up and get out of bed, get busy, go see a movie, go to a party, have some fun, get people around you. Hold on. That's good, and I'm glad... That your psychiatrist, no, I'm not glad he told you that, but because I know what God wants to tell him. Just be still and know that I'm God. And give a word, a look, and a touch to those people. And don't tell them it can't be that bad. Don't psych them up. Allow them to experience the presence of, of God as taught in Psalms 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Because you see, when you get detached, then you become despondent. In the fourth verse of that 19th chapter, you'll read, O Lord, take away my life. O Lord, take away my life. It's very common for those that answer the telephones after our our telecast on Sunday to have someone tell them I'm seriously considering taking my life. Oftentimes people drive up to the cross and we've told you some of those stories but not all of them. And they stop by but they're on their way to take their life. Elijah was suicidal. There's not anything wrong with that in the sense of, well, now, boy, I really messed up with God. Now, no, he knows what's going on. What is wrong is for you to stay in that rather than saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. Elijah was losing his will to, to live. And yes, that may be 
with some that I'm talking to today. And you'll be honest with yourself. Nobody's told me you're here. But that has entered your mind. And you say, but I'm a Christian. And I just want to go to heaven. No, you want to be in the will of God. When it's time for you to go to heaven, God will take you. But that's not your decision to make. You didn't choose to be born. And you need not choose when you're going to die. You need to let go and let God. Fear, fatigue, about to destroy you. Don't let it happen. We're not depressed because we're despondent. We're despondent because we're depressed. But we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. And those things lead us to deception. We start thinking wrong. We say things like Elijah said in the 10th verse. Listen to what he said. I alone am left. Now, wasn't that a spiritual statement? I'm the only one around. Excuse me? <laughs> None of us are the only one. He is the only one, but we're not the only one. So we have this pity party. We send out all these invitations. Nobody comes. But the Father's there. The Son is there, and the Holy Spirit is there. People often come to church for what they can get. And they're welcome when they come. But there's a step higher. And that's when you come to church to see where you can serve. Right. Now you're going to move out of that depression. Because all of a sudden you quit thinking about, woe is me. And wow, what an opportunity I have to minister. And you pick the spot. You pick the spot. What is the solution? Well, Elijah fell asleep. And when he awakened, the angel said, Arise and eat. I want you to notice, he didn't say, Arise and drink. Amen. You hear what I said? Yes. He said, Arise and eat, not have a drink, not take some drugs not have an affair, not quit your job, not get a divorce. Just slow down and let me take over again. That's what God says to us. As I've already said, properly eating and disciplining your life is taught in the scriptures, and they can help fight depression, but it boils down to you personally. You personally. He said, I alone am left. Do you know what he should have said? I alone am responsible. Uh-oh. It's not your mother? No. Not your daddy? Not your first wife? Second wife? Not the drugs? No. It's you. If you're a child of God. If you're a child of God. Now, if you're not a child of God, all of those other things, you can get on that because they're out to destroy you. They're doing real well. And they will finish the course if you let them. But you can be born again today and you can have a brand new life in Christ. And old things can be forgiven and forgotten and remembered no more. And you can move from this point 
into the presence of God right now and one day in eternity. But you know what? God says, but you're responsible. I have paid all I'm paying. I have gone to the cross. I made it way, your way, but you've got to choose this day who you're going to serve. And the world does not love you. Your friends do not love you if they're leading you down the, some of the pathways that we could discuss today that we don't have time to discuss. They don't love you. They're using you, and you're falling for it, hook, line, and sinker. But when you stop and realize, I've got an awesome God. He holds the whole world in his hand, and he's got a plan for my life. And I'm not going to ever, ever give up. Well, in verse 9, what are you doing here? We can't always be responsible for what's happened to us. But I guarantee you, we can be responsible for what we do with what's happened to us. I lost my job. We can get another one. I've gotten involved in the wrong stuff. Stop. And repent. And you know what? Those things that you see every day will not be in your sight if you quit looking that way and start looking this way. And quit looking that way and start looking this way. You don't have to go get an education to do that. You can watch your friends self-destruct. You can watch your culture self-destruct. You can watch this nation fall apart and this world come to nothing. But one day, Jesus is coming again. He is alive. He is risen from the dead. And he sits now at the right hand of the Father, saying every day, is it time? Is it time? Is it time? The Father said, no, 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 I got a few more. They're in Houston. They're still struggling. <laughs> They're in church today. They're close, but I'm not sure. They'll probably go out and watch the Super Bowl, forget they ever came. But the Lord said, I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, let me just real, be real quick here and say to you that this, this verse, if it were broken up, what are you doing here? What are you doing? What are you doing here? Now, now say it like this. What are you doing here in your depression? Why are you there? What are you doing here? And then, what are you doing here under that tree? That's what he says to Elijah. Why are you under this tree and in this cave? I've got plans for you. And little did he know that those plans were going to go all the way over hundreds of years on the Mount of Transfiguration when Elijah and Moses shows up and God had it all planned out. The hero of the New Testament on the Transfiguration is in a cave, depressed, useless and worthless in his own mind. But God finally had a breakthrough and he made it real simple. He took himself and God and they worked it out. That's what prayer rooms are for. That's what altars are for. That's for that place of solitude that wherever you live is for. Maybe it's that big tree out in front of the apartment where nobody comes. Maybe it's out here at the cross that's become the place. Maybe it's at the tomb. But you got to get with God. Got to get with God. You say, I don't think he will. Oh, yes, he will. If you're saying, I don't think he'll take me back. Oh, yes, he will. He don't have to take you back. He didn't leave you. You've got to decide, I want to come back. I want to come home. 
I want your purpose for my life. And God often shows up in the valley. But though time will not allow me to read it, I encourage you to go back and read Matthew 17 because the story ends up, he's on the mountain. He's on the mountain. And there are those great apostles and those great prophets, and there's God. That's the way it's supposed to end. But you decide. No longer did he run for the Je- from the Jezebels of this world. He didn't find God in the winds. He did not find God in the earthquake. He found God when he shut out what the world's telling you. And when he shut out the world, God spoke. And Elijah said, yes, Lord. Yes. Would you bow your head? Maybe today is your day to say yes. You saw earlier in the baptism and uh, those that were saved last week, you could be in that baptistry in a few days saying that happened on today, the first Sunday in February 2015. All the time, the final decision is made by us. God doesn't just call you out and say, I'll take you and you and you and you. He says, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. So I'm inviting you to do that. While our heads are bowed in prayer, I'm inviting you right now to just take a moment and pray this simple prayer if you really want to come out and come home. Dear God, I am in my own cave. I've separated myself from you, your word, your people, your church. I've just, I've tried to run. And I've run to the world, but I'm coming home. Dear God, I want you in my life. I confess my sin. I repent of it. I receive you knowing I don't deserve it. But by your grace, I want to be saved. Please come. Forgive me. And I promise, God, to be faithful to serve you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.